Listen, hello, hello to and welcome to Make Motherwell Bagpipes to Banjos. Uh, a very, very, very special one. <clears throat> Before I get started, just to let everyone know, I do uh, at this moment in time, I have coronavirus. It's a little bit of a different show tonight. Um, however, it's a special, special, special one. I have with me tonight music royalty, Mr. Valor Trucks. Welcome to the show, my man. Greetings, salutations, people of Earth. <laughs> it is awesome and so awesome to have you. Um, I'm a, bit of a big fan from Yeti Trio. If anyone oh, doesn't know who Vayward Tr Trucks is, um, he is the guitarist, the, the 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 main draw of the Yeti Trio for, uh -oh. for me anyway. But of course, uh, he wouldn't be caught dead saying that. Uh, on this show, real quick, before I get started with anything, obviously Corona and the pandemic's been a little crazy. But where can I find you? Where can I see your music? Where can I hear your music? What's going on? Where are you playing? All that, all that good stuff. Well, not playing anywhere out right now. Uh, but if you want to find the stuff that I'm doing or hear the stuff that I've done, uh, the easiest way is just ValorTrucks.com. And also, if you can spell my first name, Valor, V-A-Y-L-O-R, that's my handle on all the socials. So it's a nice thing about having an unusual first name. Yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy when you gave me your email. I was like, yep. damn, that's awesome. Yep. I'm Michael, man. Like you can't, <laughs> it's, it's all been done. It's all been taken. Yep. So, yep. and that's, so again, music royalty, you are phenomenally talented. Oh, I don't that's think, very kind. I, I don't think it's, I think it's facts. That's all I spit on this show, spit facts. But it's, I really is, especially in some of the places that I've seen you is, I don't know. It's like you, it's rude, right? You're cutting everybody's off. You're everybody's conversation off because everyone's stopping and going, what in the hell? Um, <laughs> so I just, I really, I think you're amazingly talented. I think people should check out VaylorTrucks.com and oh, check thanks. out all that social for Valor. And hopefully when this pandemic is gone and everyone's a little better and, and cooler about it, we can see you playing uh, at other places. So, you know, the, sh the show, it's kind of got its own little start, its own little pattern on how we start. And it, it usually it's it's interesting to hear wh where people started, how people got in, where the influences came from. Yours are maybe a little different and a little more. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know, a little more interesting to some people than most. But yeah. where did it start for you, Valor? Where did uh, you first learn to pick up a guitar? When did you first go? I want to do this. OK, so, yeah. Um all right, this is a long podcast. We can go out. Um, do whatever you want. <laughs> obviously, uh, I grew up with music. You know, obviously, there was a music influence in my life from the very earliest. You know, uh, I had a drum set, which actually I still own, uh, when I was two years old. I got it for Christmas in 1972. Uh, and it's a really nice, for real, vintage Camco drum set. And, um, you know, so I tried drums for a while, but I didn't stick to it because I was two years old. Um, <laughs> I, I bounced around a bunch of instruments. I played saxophone in junior high. I took piano lessons. I tried harmonica for a minute. Um, but my mom and dad separated when I was three. Um, we moved out of Macon to Jacksonville, Florida, and my mom remarried. And the man that she married was a guitarist. Um, he was, you know, he was marginally successful at it. Uh, he was a member. Um, do you remember the remake in the eighties of everlasting love by Rachel sweet and Rex Smith? Does that, yeah, does that I, ring a bell to I, you yeah, at all? I can't do it. Okay. No, well, no that's fine. I wish, uh, I wish I did. <laughs> well, he was part of Rachel sweet's band. Um, and he had some other kind of regional bands as well. But so, you know, he toured with Bob Seger and, you know, and so I learned my first couple of guitar chords for him. Uh, but after that, I was largely self-taught, but that's, that's why guitar, because there was guitar in the house, um, okay. from him. Yeah. But so you bounced around a lot. It's, it's, it's just, it's insane to me. Um, it's self-taught. How old were you when you were when you started on the guitar? Anyway, you've been playing I was about twelve. This, 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 and this. So twelve years old, you start on the yeah. guitar. So yeah. you kind of play that through 
junior high and whatnot to when do you get into uh, performing? Oh, um, well, here's the thing. Um, from the age of about six until the time that I graduated high school, we moved a lot. Uh, I lived in Jacksonville and Daytona Beach and Ormond Beach and Lake Placid and Wachula for most of that and uh, Sebring and Avon Park. And, and uh, then I moved to Tallahassee to go to college and we lived in Nashville for four years. So uh, all over the Southeast, largely in Florida. But for my high school years, I was in a very small town in central Florida called Wachula, which is the county seat of Hardee County. It's about 90 miles south of Orlando and about an hour east of Tampa, right in the middle of the orange groves right. and the swamps. Um, there wasn't, we were in a dry county. There was no opportunity to perform live. Uh, so, so for me, the opportunity to play was just hanging out with my friends who were also players. But it being the late 80s, so this, you know, I graduated high school in 1988. So this would have been like 83 to 88 would when, be when I was playing all of this stuff. Um, no one gave a shit about the Almond Brothers. Oh, I'm assuming right. we can go blue here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we, we were in the middle of new wave and hard rock. Right. So my, what my friends were playing was. Bon Jovi and Rat and Poison and Cinderella and you know sure. so that so that's the music that I had to learn and the you know the Scorpions and Iron Maiden you know th those are the things that I was having to learn uh, in order to play with my friends I didn't have much of an interest in it although I did enjoy Van Halen and I did buy Quiet Riot's Metal Health album and I learned a lot of that um, <laughs> but but that's so the first time I actually would perform. While I was still going to high school in Wachula, my mom moved the family a, a county over to Sebring, and she was working at a uh, golf resort over there. And the golf resort had a nightclub, and you know there would be little duo and trio acts that would come and play lounge jazz at the nightclub. And one one dude there said, "Well, you should come and play with us." And so my first time playing on stage was at the Sun and Lord Sun and Lakes Resort Golf Club, uh, you know, in, in Sebring, Florida. Um, and you're and playing after, like Bon Jovi and stuff. No, no. For that one, what did we end up playing? I think we ended up playing Ramblin' Man because they knew who my father was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but after that, I, I had a friend from Wachula named Roger who had a little trio and they would actually play some, some harder hard rock songs, but you know, it was more classic rock oriented, the, the stones and thin Lizzie and stuff like that. And so I sat in with them a couple of times, but it wouldn't be until I started college, actually about a year or two into college in Tallahassee that I had a band that was performing regularly uh, uh, at, at all of the, the little clubs around FSU. So. Is that around the time you'd say that like you kind of found your sound that that you were a little more experimental kind of well yes and no path kind of change <laughs> stuff. I always tried to push the band in that direction. You know, I would say mm -hmm. let's play this, let's play this Frank Zappa tune, let's play this Jeff Beck tune. Uh, but the other songwriter in the band was a guy named Pete Howenstein, and uh, Pete was into. Uh, Elton John and Billy Joel and uh, um, oh geez, like uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so you know, so I'm saying, you know, <coughs> let's play Scatterbrain from Blow by Blow, and he's saying let's play Angry Young Man by Billy Joel. And so, <laughs> th those are the covers we ended up doing with stuff like that. So yeah, I tried. That's to when drugs this. come into play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Says, yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, what am I going to say? No, no, of course no, not. No, 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 of course <laughs> But there's just a lot of pushing and pulling. And mm -hmm. like you said, you're kind of, you, you're pushing in that direction. Yeah. Um, but again, that's kind of when you're finding it and you're, you're trying to do it. And so that's. For sure. Yeah. No, I was, I was definitely interested in trying to be seen as kind of a, a serious and dedicated and skillful musician uh, more than I was necessarily worried about, you know, 
drunk FSU uh, college students dancing to uh, Sweet Home Alabama or something. So, well, that, yeah. that kind of goes—that's kind of the next question—is—is <laughs> is around that time you were at school? Were you going to school to be a musician or, or actually no music? Yeah, no, I went to school for engineering, and I ended up graduating with a degree in physics. Uh, Jesus I, you know. Christ. <laughs> Um, no, uh, you know, I, so, okay. So when I, (laughs) when I got to college, I was poor. Uh, I, I, you know, like I said, the Allman brothers hadn't been playing forever. Uh, my dad was making a living by, uh, uh, playing in a local jazz band in Tallahassee and also by working at a, a music store. Um, so I, as I'm trying to get myself through college, you know, I kind of made the decision that, well, it's the difference between figure skating and baseball, right? In uh, figure skating, like a music career, it doesn't matter how well you execute. It doesn't matter how well you do the thing. At the end of the day, your success or failure is based upon someone else judging your work. That's figure yeah. skating, right? Sure. Baseball. If you're if you're out there playing baseball, you can say this is how well I hit, this is how well I run, this is how well I I field. Uh, pay me based on that. So that was my thinking in getting a degree in which I could be baseball and not figure skating. Yeah. So that that's that's why I went for a science degree and not for a, a music degree. Yeah. But was again was it uh, more of a fail save, more of a safety net, or was it uh was it always music that you wanted to pursue, or was there more of a I definitely want to be an engineer and then I get to play in and then I really like this. Like how did that well, kind of turn about where you kind of chose that path? Well, yeah. So it's, a, it's obviously I've music's always been a part of my life, but it hasn't been the only thing in my life. I, I right. was, you know, the same year I got my guitar, I got my first computer uh, in 1982. Right. And I really liked it. And I liked to program games. And I, just as much as I would hang out with friends and play music, I would hang out with my best friend and we would write games on computers. I like doing it. Uh, so, you know, th- that was always something that I wanted to pursue was the sciences and technology. And I was fortunate enough that when I moved to Tallahassee and got a job, I ended up working for a company called Stereo Sales. And ostensibly, they sold stereo equipment, right? You know, they sold home and car audio, and I ended up installing a lot of car stereos. But they also had a professional wing. And the professional wing uh, was talented and prestigious enough that they we ended up doing things like installing the sound system at Florida A&M University's football stadium. Okay. So I got, I got very kind of on-the-job training and information about acoustical physics. So... I went to Tallahassee to study electrical engineering, but I ended up leaving there and moving to Atlanta, uh, ostensibly to get a degree at Georgia Tech. Uh, I ended up not being able to do that because there was a fire and I had to, there was a, I lost everything, but I did, I did have a degree, a four-year degree in physics at the end of it all uh, from a local college up here in Atlanta. So that the idea was I was going to get my graduate degree in acoustic physics, studying with Gene Patronis at, at Georgia Tech. That's what I wanted to do. I just didn't have the chance to do that. I ended up, you know, in the workplace doing IT stuff. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so you just uh, it was gigs here and there, um, side project stuff. Well, or, uh, so when did you make I, that path from, you know, <laughs> from like IT guy to fucking? Yeah. Touring, killing it. Well, you know, I, I, I still am an IT da- guy, and that's what allows me to have the ability to play the weird music okay. that I play because, you know, I got a, I got a day gig that pays me well, and I get to work from home. Um, but, you know, had my college band in Tallahassee, moved to Atlanta, and um, after being in Atlanta for about three or four years and not making any music worth noting at all, uh, I started getting really aggressive with folks. Give me some names. I'm trying to put together a fusion band here. I'm trying to put together something that's really going to scare people. And it was uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton uh, that gave me uh, Eric. Sa- yes. Uh, he he was the one that got me in touch with Eric Sanders, my drummer. Uh, and er- Eric and I have been, you know, making music together now for 22 years. Um And the third member of the Yeti trio I found uh, through my sister, my sister, had lived in Atlanta before I did. 
she had made friends with uh, a local band called The Grapes. Uh, the Grapes were a really fantastic jam band. They toured the country. Uh, they were they were in the same uh, group of jam bands out of the South uh, that were really hitting hard in the 90s. Aside from uh, Colonel Bruce and the Fijian Mariners, there was The Grapes. There was Dawn of the Buffalo. The there was Rescue Unit and stuff. Yeah. Well, this would have been after the Aquarium Rescue Unit, uh, or at least after Colonel Bruce and the Aquarium Rescue Unit. ARU still happened uh, with 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 Paul singing after Bruce left. So uh, yeah, so it would have been concurrent to that. And but you're talking like like Blind Melon, like that that time, like the ninety two, yeah. ninety three, ninety four kind of stuff. Yeah, well, exactly right. All, all the way up at you know up through when I met uh, Brooke Smith, uh, who was playing with the Grapes in nineteen ninety eight. Um, okay, so. Yeah, I'm way off. Yeah, no, oh, no not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, uh, there's I have I have a very strange connection to Blind Melon. In fact, uh, like I said, my stepfather was a guitarist. He was originally from Columbus, Mississippi, and his stepbrother, or actually half brother, Sanford, was one of the original members of Blind Melon. Uh, before you know, he left to do other things, and they hired someone else, and they became famous without him. So, <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a connection to them too. <laughs> you just connected everywhere in music. I mean, that's what we say about music royalty. Um, yeah, you start playing, you're doing your thing. Mm -hmm. uh, how far does the name take you to get in the door, or like just to start anyway, or yeah. are you like busting your ass still? playing pissy venues and things like that or you know how does how does it get how's it get going i you know just like what i said before about the figure skating and baseball metaphor yeah. i made a conscious effort not to call any of my bands the Valor Trucks Band. I did not right. want to lean on the name. I did not want to play slide guitar. Not that I can't. I just don't <laughs> want to invite comparisons, right? You got to throw uh, that in there, of course. Well, I, you know, you know, I, I'm a student of the instrument. I, you know, I, I, I try and learn everything there is to learn about it. Um, I just, I am uncomfortable playing it live because it's immediately the first thing that people are going to think. Yeah. Um, that's changed recently, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, sure. But no, so the whole idea was, I, I, I wanted to play a style of music that not only spoke to me and I was passionate about, but was dissimilar enough from the Allman Brothers and from what my family was doing that it wouldn't immediately invite comparisons, right? Right. So that's that was my goal. So as a result, yeah, I played a lot of shitty venues. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, yeah, we've we've done uh, you know a lot of the uh, the grimier places in the southeast. So sure, yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's let's take some time out to talk about that. What's uh, okay? You you don't have to name it um, okay. if you don't want to. No, I don't tell mind. Tell me about a shitty venue, a real just a real shitty venue experience. <laughs> Doesn't have to be the worst, but maybe the worst one you can think about. Okay. Um, just tell these aspiring musicians out there how fucking rough it sometimes gets. Uh, okay. We were hired uh, one time. Uh, to play a benefit for the spouses of incarcerated fathers. Oh, great. Uh, and um, it was obvious that they didn't hear, they didn't know us. They didn't care about what kind of music we were playing. We showed up uh, underneath a tent outside of a prison and uh, to a, a group of people that – could not care less about what we were playing. The one and only time we got any reaction at all is that we did a, a version of Bob Dylan's "Like a Rolling Stone," and oh, we put in a no. we put in a break at when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose, and people would turn around and say, "Shit, yeah!" And that was the only time that we got any reaction from this crowd at all. So, oh no, where was? Oh, you don't have to say where it was, but Jesus, oh, I can Florida. only imagine. They're just like, yeah. hey, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, just, yeah, no, just, you know, so they were just hard. talking amongst themselves. We were just background guys. <laughs> if, if this motherfucker plays Almond Brothers one more goddamn time. <laughs> no, we didn't do that. <laughs> you didn't. No. Uh, the, a benefit 
for incarcerated spouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea, so the idea is, if you're you're a mom at home alone with a kid and the father and the is in prison, in jail. yeah, yeah. That's that's what we were a benefit for. Do you get paid for that? No, no. It was a benefit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what I heard. Yeah. And then you said that, and how? Oh my God, did you get any like what they did? You get like a Coke out of that? Did you get like a, yeah. like a Mountain Dew or anything? <laughs> I, I, you I know, imagine I they didn't carry shit. Uh, you know, I don't. Who's working? I don't, I don't even that? remember. I don't remember actually uh, what? what the remunerations were. Uh, no, I think I think we were doing this as a favor for someone actually. Uh, I, I don't remember entirely. What yeah. kind of band would you say would be ideal for that situation? Obviously wasn't. Uh, obviously wasn't. Well, I don't know. Uh, I you know well, I think that that particular audience was probably looking more for uh, R and B and hip hop than they were for a, a cover band. So uh, yeah. Either way, I mean, yeah. It, it, again. You're going to play shitty venues. Um, yeah. People who are listening and want to do this for a living, that's the point. If you ain't got nothing, you got you nothing got to nothing lose. <laughs> but exactly. That's wonderful shit. Bob Dylan <laughs> at a prison. You had to break yeah. that out. You just had yeah. to break Bob Dylan. I do like Bob Dylan. Where did we – we, okay, um, we'll throw that out there. Did you ever meet Bob Dylan? Once, uh, and it was – just barely. So, uh, 1995, uh, in Cleveland, they were going to finally open the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the actual museum itself. Yeah. You know, previous to that, you know, acts had been inducted, but there was no actual museum. So, in 1995 sure. was the grand opening museum concert thing. And it just so happened that that year, the three inductees were – uh, the Almond Brothers, Led Zeppelin, and Frank Zappa. Um, what a class! Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so I get the chance to go and not only see them be inducted to the Hall of Fame, but attend the concert. And so, you know, we're walking towards you know the tables in the backstage area, and it was myself and uh, my wife at the time, and my my brother Seth, and a few others. And as we're walking, I see Bob Dylan walking around with a little VHS camera, just kind of taking everything <laughs> in. And he lands on Aretha Franklin and is trying to get her attention. And then my brother, Seth, just right in between them, <laughs> completely oblivious to what's going on. And I had to say, Seth, move. Yeah. Bob, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that, that's the one time I talked to Bob Dylan is to apologize for my brother. <laughs> <laughs> who would you who would you say is like one of the like top level holy shit guys that or gals that you've met on your travels as far as mm. um being places like that um the one the one that blew you away yeah yeah the the one that i guess that i'm most impressed with was uh me was re-meeting tom dowd uh and if, if you don't know who tom dowd was Tom Dowd was an engineer and producer at Atlantic Records, and he was responsible for everyone from Ray Charles and John Coltrane all the way through to the Allman Brothers and, you know, uh, uh, Leonard Skinnerd and, and a bunch of others. Uh, this is a guy who was in college during World War II studying physics, was drafted by the Defense Department to take part in the Manhattan Project Jesus. and helped to build the atomic bomb. When he was finished, he wanted to go back to college to finish his degree. But the problem was none of the colleges knew the shit that he learned on the Manhattan Project. So <laughs> no one had anything that could teach him. He was a professor. Yeah. So he said, well, let me find something else to do. And he got into the burgeoning uh, industry of sound re recording and, and, and engineering. And like I say, he, he is the reason why Atlantic Records sounds the way it sounds. He, he is he, the credits That's to wonderful. Tom. Yeah. And so it's 1991 and the Allman Brothers are on the road again, uh, supporting Seven Turns. Uh, and I decide I'm going to follow them for four or five shows in the South 
And when we get to Miami, which is where Tom lives, uh, he's there. And he just walks right up to me and he says, Valor, it's good to see you again. He hadn't seen me since I was two. And he knew who I was, shook my hand, and we had a great conversation about John Coltrane. And that just impressed the hell out of me. <laughs> he, he was an amazing person. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's, so, he's yeah. on that same brain line, that brainwave as you, huh? That. <laughs> well, that you flatter me greatly by saying that. Um, well, yeah. I'm just but saying I, that, uh, quiet genius. Go ahead. Please cut me off. Please. No, 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 no. I'm guilty I, was of gonna, it. I was just going to say the person I think that I was the most a fanboy around, like yeah, uncomfortably so, uh, was. Three or four years ago, uh, the Yeti Trio opened for the Aristocrats. Uh, and the Aristocrats is Marco Miniman on drums, Brian Beller on bass, and Guthrie Govan on guitar. And Guthrie is just one of these guys like Paul Gilbert or Buckethead, where his playing is like, that That shouldn't be possible. And so we opened for them. And after the show, I was like, Guthrie, did you like it? Was it okay? Did it sound all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I was yeah, I, I think I made him very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very cool how um, uh, and music can can take you to all kinds of places like that and all kinds oh, yeah. of, of people like that. And that's really what we try to get through on this show. I don't usually meet this uh, people that are uh, how do I say as, as successful as yourself. Yeah. Uh, one. Uh, definitely not as talented. I think they'll all admit that. Um, but uh, at the very least, someone who's just been in and amongst it, just like you have your whole entire life and your whole entire college. But it's the first time learning about you, you know, having a degree in physics, things like that. How, I mean, if anyone that hasn't heard Valor play, they've got to. Like, you please go check it out. I'll definitely share the, the links. But, um, I, now that I know it, I can hear it. It's like, man, there's there is there's, there's a different kind of science behind this this playing. How when did you first like put that together? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When did you um, see that they could team up and be magic? I, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I think of it that way. Um, that's fine. That's fair. It's it's go. You know, yeah. Please. It's it's to me. It's more like okay. Growing up, I definitely went through a stage where because of the Allman Brothers and because of my father, I, I went through a lot of listening to a lot of, um, you know, classic rock blues artists, you know, even getting it as obscure as I could, not only in terms of Back to the Origins and, you know, Sunhouse and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson and all of that, but also the stuff that was relatively new and coming out in the eighties and nineties, like on alligator records, I got, you know, I got real into Roy Buchanan and Danny Gatton and little Ed and the Imperials and, and uh, you know, all, all of these guys that were playing this kind of new blues. And the, the problem for me was that I saw myself and my role with the guitar as being such a technician that once I kind of understood how that music was made, it stopped, it, you know, it decreasingly stopped holding my interest. Right. So, so from there it went into Jeff Beck and, and kind of uh, the entry level fusion stuff. And from there it went to Mahavishnu and from there it went to John Coltrane. And, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to take in all the information I can, not necessarily because I want to, um, I, I want to be able to go on stage and play John Coltrane's sax solo from Giant Steps, but because I want to synthesize it into something that holds my attention, that I think is interesting. Um, but, you know, as I get older, I find that the things that I'm finding are more interesting are not necessarily the, the more difficult things, but trying to make something that has that intersection, that Venn diagram intersection of the stuff that's interesting and technically challenging, but also has a, a, a feel and an authenticity to it. And, you know, I guess that's why I've always liked band, you know, I prefer, for example, John McLaughlin to Aldemiola, because McLaughlin is 
always feels to me like he's right on the hairy edge of his capabilities. He's always trying to push it just a little bit farther. Sure. And you get the idea with Al Demiola that he's kind of just sitting back and he's looking out and all of these 30 second notes are flying off his fingers, but it's, it's only occupying about 10% of his brain at the time. Right. So sure. I, I would rather have someone that's got, got more invested in it, you know? And so, yeah, that's where I'm trying to go. Uh, you make you, all, you, that's where you put yourself. You're, yeah, you're make, pushing and pushing and pushing as hard as you can. Always make all the mistakes. Uh, chump it on stage as much as possible. Don't play it safe. You know, uh, that's that's where I'm at. So yeah, and it's it's so it works. It works for me. It works <laughs> for your 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 demo. It works yeah. for people who know and, and, and love that music. Yeah, it's not everyone's flavor. No. Um, <laughs> and that was the idea. In fact, when I called Eric, when, when Colonel Bruce gave me Eric's number and said, call this guy, his name's Lars, you'll love him. Um, so, so I call Eric and I say, hi, you don't know me. Colonel Bruce gave me your number. My name's Valor Trucks. Uh, I want to make ugly music that scares people. <laughs> <laughs> and he called me back based on that. And I said, yeah, my vision is we go to a club, we set up, we play, and we scare so many people that they never have us back again. <laughs> well, that's kind of where I was going with that. It's not everyone's flavor has yeah. that happened. Like, obviously, with the first. Um, yeah. Where was it just like, holy shit, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, well, you, would you run into anything like that that was just like, yeah. holy shit? You're not paying you or anything stupid like that? (laughs) No, nothing like that. But there was, for example, um, there's a club here in town uh, called Smith's Old Bar. Love that Uh, place. Yeah, it's the worst load-in of any club ever. Uh, You got to go upstairs? Oh, yeah. Not not only upstairs, but when you're one of the uh, musicians, you pull into a back alley, and there's a rickety metal staircase that goes up the outside of the building. And that's how you load in. Yeah. It's on a hill in the corner. Yeah. Yep. Jesus. Uh, so <laughs> they offered us a residency every Tuesday night in August, uh, in like, was it 1999 or 2000, 2000, I think it was. And, you know, the first week we had about half capacity and the second week we had about a third capacity. And by the time we were done with it, there was like three people there. <laughs> and, oh. and, and Brooks, <laughs> as we were loading out the next, the, the last night, he says, well, the next time we play there will be never. <laughs> but, you know, we actually did end up playing there again. But <laughs> when did you go back? Like, uh, when was that? Oh, um, okay. So in 2000. It takes a while to bounce back. Well, in 2009, a few things happened. Um, I got married to my wife now, uh, Emily. Uh, and what we decided to do is are you familiar with a guitarist named Mike Keneally? I'm not. I can't say Mike, I'm sorry. Mike was part of Frank Zappa's band uh, for the last uh, few years of his touring career. Uh, and he, he's he's also an immensely talented uh, uh, progressive uh, composer and performer. Um, you know, he's got a bunch of solo records. Um, but in 2009, on his website, he did something called the My Keneally Tour. And he, basically, if if you pay his fee, then he'll show up and play wherever the fuck you want, you know, in your backyard. <laughs> That's great. And so I talked to uh, Emily and I said, well, here, here's what we'll do. We'll get married at the, the courthouse. And then that night we'll go set up and play and have Mike Keneally play with us. And that'll be our reception. So we were able to get Smith's old bar to have us that night. So Brian, uh, yeah, Brian and Beller and Mike Keneally played a set. We played a set, the first Yeti set in seven years. Uh, And then the five of us played together. And uh, that recording is actually our, our album go play is that night. Awesome. Awesome. Man, so you guys hadn't played in forever. Yeah. And you're playing, that's an album that you, that's crazy. Yeah. It was was fun. It was a good night. (laughs) Is that when you guys did you guys pick up from there and start saying, hey, yes. man, I, I missed this. Let's go back. Yeah, to oh this. no. 
we all definitely missed it, but we all had kids and lives and stuff yeah. that got in the in the way, right? So, uh, yeah, we just finally got to a point where we could start devoting some time to it again. And you know, after that year, we played the Wani Festival every year and just a handful of shows in the Southeast every year. Uh, nothing serious, but enough to keep ours the songwriting going and the music going. Yeah. And the food in the belly, you know? What I yeah, mean? That's exactly. Why we, that's why we do this. That's it's, <laughs> we can get any, any extras nice, you know, but if we can get a, get through that little food in our belly, that's really it. Um, so Wani, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's magical. Missing. Yeah. Um, we have to get into, into that, you know, it's, it's crazy, sad and all that, but yeah. it, would you say that's, would you say that's your uh I don't know your home your hometown hometown home team is that is that where you you you'd say yours uh, you know what yeah. I mean is that your Red Rocks yes Wani? yeah I mean you guys I, that's played there what, that's absolutely times? fair yeah so I played there with my Prague trio Bonobo's Convergence we played there a few times I played there with Yeti a few times and I played there once with my dad as part of his band so uh yes oh yeah no i i really love it and it, it it was always fun because it always happened uh very it was always the closest weekend to my daughter's birthday so like when april my daughter 20th, 18th oh, yeah yeah -ish. yeah her her birthday is uh, is april 14th so it's okay as i was right around there okay yeah so for her, her like her third fourth and fifth birthdays we took her to wani and she had a great time awesome. <laughs> you guys go yeah. vip style do you guys just uh go in a tent by the we by used the to camp we used to you know for the <coughs> first few years we would camp and then set up in the campground and play at two in the morning yeah. uh but you know, as I started getting older and realizing that I don't like being sticky and sweaty all the time, we started getting <laughs> hotels. <laughs> yeah. Is um, would you say that's your favorite, the best venue you ever played? You got other ones? What's what's what would you say is the best one you've ever? Uh, oh wow! Maybe uh, best show you've ever been the you know pleasure of playing. Whatever whatever the pro word here is. <laughs> I think the one that I'm proudest of is well there's a few yeah wani is yeah. definitely right up there uh top top three for sure um but bb kings uh in new york uh, in Times square with the free train wow. band and having my daughter come up and sing with us that was fun what um, was that there 2016 yeah jeez that's so cool yeah. Yeah. Middle of New York. Uh, your daughter's yep. singing with you. Crazy. Yeah. And, and I found out after the fact that Julian Lennon was there in attendance as well. So No way. Yeah. Another bit cool. of music royalty, huh? Yeah. That's insanity. Yeah. No, so, I, I, I was pretty chuffed about that. Um, how did that come about? We'll, well do uh, number one here in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, that came about because when the Allman Brothers – finally dissolved in 2014 uh, my father put together two different bands uh, one was designed to play the sheds you know the the outdoor venues kind of the festivals mm -hmm. and stuff uh, and that was most of the members of the touring Almond Brothers band so himself and Jamo and Mark Quinones uh, Oteil Burbridge uh, and then they had um, uh, uh, Jack Pearson who had played guitar with the Almond Brothers before and then in addition to those folks, they had Lamar Williams Jr. singing. Uh, they had Bruce Katz on keyboards. Uh, and they had Pat Burgesson, who was another Nashville cat that that played with, with uh, Jack a lot. That was that band. And they did great. But my dad also wanted to have a, a group that could play the smaller venues and clubs and stuff just to keep himself working. Uh, and that was the Freight Train Band. And that started out with me and him and uh, – Barry Oakley's son, Barry Dwayne Oakley, and then Bruce Katz. So that foursome. Uh, later, we added um, another guitarist, uh, Damon Fowler from, from Sarasota, great blues guitar player. Um, we added a percussionist, uh, um, Garrett Dawson. Uh, we added uh, actually a third guitarist and singer, uh, Heather Gillis, who is absolutely killing it right now. She's actually yeah. playing with Thelma and the Sleaze these days, if you know them. But they're <laughs> a, a ton of fun. Uh, and um, 
Yeah, you know, so that band, the Freight Train Band, is the one that ended up touring a lot through the the Northeast. You know, playing through uh, you know Maryland and and Connecticut and and uh, Massachusetts and New York and all up there. So that 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 band is is the one that played at BB King's. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right. So what's uh, number one on the list, or what's in that top three? Man, let me think about this. Uh, all right. You know, walk the the Wakarusa Festival. I don't know if you know that one. It started off the, in uh, Arkansas, right? It's it's in Arkansas now, but it started out in Kansas. Okay. And we played we played it. My prog trio played it when we were out in Kansas. And the reason why it was important to me is because uh, we played at like four thirty in the morning, but we played on the same stage that Buckethead had played on that evening. And so I was I, I was quite chuffed about that. <laughs> That was, that was a lot of fun. You've mentioned Buckethead a couple of times. Is yeah. that kind of outside of the family and stuff? Like, is, is Would you say Buckethead's up there? Who's who's the big – maybe give me a top three there. Huge okay. inspirations. You know, like who's your top three? Like I kind of like said uh, play the same stage as them. Like that's awesome. Like that's who, who you want to follow and, and maybe who you want to emulate a little bit. Yeah. So I guess the three biggest influences on my guitar playing over the years, the three that I keep coming back to, one we've talked about already, John McLaughlin. Uh, aside from that, Frank Zappa and Ralph Towner. I don't know if you know Ralph Towner or not. Ralph Towner is, he plays classical and 12 string guitar. Um, he played, he came up originally uh, with Paul Winter in the Paul Winter Consort. Wow. And uh, he had, uh, he's got a band that he's worked with forever called Oregon. Uh, and Oregon for uh, the the wind player, the oboist for Oregon is Paul McCandless, who also played with Colonel Bruce. But um, Ralph Towner, so if, if John McLaughlin represents intensity, you know, mm -hmm. basically putting a lie to the fact, so... You know, growing up, I you know you hear oh well, there's the guys who play fast with no soul, and there's the guys that play with soul but no chops. And John McLaughlin says there's no reason why you can't do both. Right. Um, and so that's what I get from him. With Frank Zappa, it's 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 about showing that you can express more than just uh, intensity and hate and and you know these aggressive sort of things. You can you can be humorous. You can you can create odd musical environments yeah, and yeah and the thing and ralph towner the thing that he's done for me more than anything else is is he is the epitome of quiet intensity uh his music is is delicate but he released an album on ecm records uh in 1974 called solstice with uh three scandinavian uh, uh musicians uh eberhard weber uh jan christensen and John Garbarek. And um, I've owned maybe nine copies of this album over the years. It's just beautiful. It kills me dead every time. Just wore it out? Just scratched it yeah. to shit? No, it yeah. I would either wear it out or give it away or, yeah. I just, it's it's one that just, you know, I, I kept having to refurbish because, you know, yeah. I It would, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, have, it's just amazing. Yeah. Do you have any other albums like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Blow by Blow and Wired. Uh, um, the Inner Mounting Flame by Ma Vishnu. Um, I'm in the process now of replay of, so I got all of Zappa's Ryko disc recordings. And when Ryko went out and they started releasing them on Zappa's own label, I've, you know, now got two copies of many of Zappa's albums because, you know, I'm trying to get both editions yeah. of them. Um, oh, geez. Um, He's there is some shit out. Yeah. Um, Six and twelve string guitar by Leo Kotke is a fantastic album. Um, I've gone through a few copies of that. Uh, wow, jeez, um, I'm trying to think. See, the the one thing that complicates things is, like I said, in 1996, I had a fire in my apartment and I lost everything, so I had to replace everything at that point. Yeah. And so in 1996, you were, what, 26 years old or so? 26, so correct, this, yeah. So this is probably, if a lot of young men can relate, probably when I was, like, peak, like, buying all the albums that I could, like, mm -hmm. really soaking as much as I could, seeing as much live yep. as I could. So 
I can only imagine losing every, like now granted, uh, I think iPods had just came out around then. So I can only imagine losing my iPod. <laughs> When yeah, I was no, 26, I, like it would have ruined your fucking life for a minute. Like, yeah, no, it did. We didn't have insurance. We lost everything, and um, I didn't have an iPod at the time. And it, and it no. wasn't just it wasn't just stuff, right? We lost um, pets. Uh, you oh know, shit! Yeah, we lost photos. We lost original art. Um, so and yeah, instruments. Sucked. All of my instruments were gone. Um, so yeah, no, it was starting over from zero. Yeah, and around that point. Are you still, are you playing? Are you working? Just what's really no, going this, on at dude, 26 and you kind of lose all your shit? I was songwriting, but I wasn't playing with anyone. This was two years before the Yeti Trio happened. Yeah. Okay. And so the Yeti Trio begins. Yeah. Let's go. What what, what happens there? Give me a, a quick synopsis of the life and times of the, you well, the becoming quick kind of where you are now. <laughs> um. Originally, the idea behind the band was no songs, all improvisation. We get up on stage. There's no set list in front of us. Someone counts something off, and we just go for as long as they let us go. Uh, and we did that for a while. Um, but what we found that we were doing is we would make recordings of all of our rehearsals and all of our performances, and we would say, hey, you remember that thing you did in this time yeah. signature? Do that again, and let me try this thing over it, and then through that process, we started building little little structures, which we gave right. names to, right? We gave them names like Chuck Jones or Kangaroo or uh, uh, what is the Spazzy Lomba, you know, just, you know, weird, weird names. Uh, Zero relevance. And, well, kinda... you know, so for example, Chuck Jones, Chuck Jones was an animator at Warner Brothers. And okay. so the jam that we based Chuck Jones off of was about seven minutes long, which is about the same length as a Warner Brothers cartoon. So a little seven minute masterpiece is Chuck Jones. So that's that's how we would come up with names for stuff. Like how crazy <laughs> would it be to be in a band with a physicist? That would be insanity. <laughs> um, just all right. So you guys get together. You yeah. finally start writing these little yeah, like you said yeah, and we start song, touring. But- yeah, we start touring. We, we, yeah, we, 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 uh, we're still recording everything just on little digital. Uh, you remember the uh, the the little mini disc digital recorders? We yeah. just, you know, Brooks would bring one of those, and we would record everything. And we started accumulating this archive of stuff. Um, toured a lot through the southeast. We did. Ooh, this would have been another one from my top three. We got a chance to play at the Wetlands. Uh, the Wetlands Preserve in New York, the the, the wow. Trio played there. And that was a really good night. We had a ton of fun there. There was even a power outage that night because there was a nor'easter coming through New York that night. But Are you the headliner uh, that night? No, we were down. Night? No, we were downstairs. Okay. There was a, there was a headliner upstairs, but we had the downstairs to ourselves. You know, as we didn't have to Back share down. the stage with anyone. Um, but it was still, you know, what an honor. Um, did you ever see the documentary about the Wetlands? No, it was no. it was a fabulous. There's I've, a, I've heard of it, and I think it's still <laughs> available online, but I've never watched it. There's there's a great quote from it because you know the, this particular segment they start off uh, with the camera on the uh, occupancy sign that's in the front of the building saying you know this this facility is designed for 450 people, mm-hmm. and then they they started interviewing all of the uh, uh, the staff. They said, well, how many people would you have on a night? And they would say 750. 700 and then one dude says well it depends on who's playing you can only get about 650 government mule fans in here (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was pretty good yeah so yeah we played we played mostly through the southeast but we did make a northeast tour uh up to new york new jersey virginia and then back down um yeah and that that tour was one of the last things that we did uh, before we had to stop playing for a while, um, and, you and know, in two thousand really down the kids you know, and stuff like not, nothing really yeah. crazy like no yoga or anything like that. No, no. Brooks had his first kid in two thousand one. I had my daughter in two thousand two, uh, and uh, you know, day gigs started to be a thing that that kept us from being able to go out as much as we could because at that time. Uh, Brooks was actually working for Mars Music and then Mars Music disbanded and he ended up getting a job as an engineer with a, a music distribution company and that kind of required him to stay closer to Atlanta. Uh, so 
Yeah. So, and also uh, Eric uh, got a job at the Atlanta Institute of Music as one of their drum instructors. So all three of us ended up being tied to the Atlanta area. Uh, and so we just had to stop for a while. Uh, but, you know, now that we, once we got back together in 2009, uh, we still don't go out much, but we still do try and get to the Southeast as much as we can. Yeah. So it's just, it's incredible. What are you, what are you doing now as far as, uh, just music goes? Are you still writing? Are you still oh, yeah. produ producing? What, what are you doing? Where can I hear you and see you as far as like post COVID? Right. So here's the thing about that. Like I said before, I got a day job. And so I don't want to take money out of the pockets of actual musicians that need the work. So I made the conscious decision at the beginning of the quarantine times that I wasn't going to put out anything commercial. If you want me to come out to do a benefit or something online, do a uh, streaming set online for a, a benefit for a cause, I'll do that. But short of that, I've been using this time to songwrite and also to learn a new instrument. Um, I just turned 50 and Eric for my birthday got me a bass clarinet, which is an instrument I absolutely awesome. love. So I've been taking bass clarinet lessons and learning that. But while that's been going on, I have a studio in my house. Eric has a studio in his backyard. Uh, so we've been writing songs together. And these are not going to be Yeti songs. These are going to be shorter, punchier, more composed songs. And we're calling the project Standard Deviators. Uh <laughs> So awesome. we're we're in the songwriting process now. He'll send me uh, some recordings. I'll add. Are you guys it. doing it kind of like this? Like, hey, yeah, exactly. And, and that's cool. exactly. He'll he'll make a recording, send it to me. I'll throw it into my studio, add some parts to it, throw it back to him. He'll listen to it and he'll have some feedback, and we'll go back and forth about arranging songwriting and all of that stuff. So that's the process where we're at now. Once we have a set of songs that we feel are in their final form. We'll start recording. And then maybe by the end of COVID, we'll be ready to have a CD for release. So that, awesome. that's the plan. So your finger is just never out of the pie, man. You've always got a, an yeah. eye on it. You're always kind of working on it. Some, it's a passion. It's a hobby, but it's a passion. It's something that well, it's in it's, your blood, right? You know I mean? It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's more than just a hobby. I do make a good, well, not a good portion, but a portion of my living I make from music. Uh, this year, obviously that portion is pretty close to zero and that, that was done intentionally. Uh, but I, yeah, there hasn't been a year since 1998 in at least, in at least, uh, Let's put it this way. Enough of my income came from music that I had to declare it on my taxes. <laughs> so fair enough, man. Fair yeah. enough, Hustler. Uh, so cool. So now it's a little quick fire just to kind of end it, man. I've had such a pleasure speaking with you, man. It's so well, awesome. you as well. Um, now we just kind of get to know you a little bit. Most embarrassing thing that you can remember ever doing on stage. Oh, um, oh, I was the guitarist for a stage production of man of La Mancha. I, <laughs> so I, already, I did, this is already embarrassing. I know I did a lot of theater. <laughs> and the reason why I did a lot of theater is because I had the temerity as a guitarist to learn how to read music. And if you can read music <laughs> and you show up for an audition and they hand you music and you're like, Oh no, I'm a guitarist. I don't read because that, detracts from my soul or my, whatever my creativity and, you know, and all that there's, shit, yeah. there's the door but for me man <laughs> of la mancha the guitar parts are actually these really involved flamenco parts and the band is backstage off stage you can't see us and we're getting microphones off the stage and headphones and i'm playing and i'm playing and i'm playing and i get to a break in the song and i realize that i'm two beats off i have been wrong the entire song uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's probably my most embarrassing moment. So that just speaks you you didn't mean it, but that speaks to your yeah. genius. People usually come on here and talk about how they pooped themselves. Oh um, <laughs> things like that. You're like, yeah, it was two beats off for half of a song. And then I figured it out. So that was pretty oh. embarrassing for, for that's Faylor Trucks, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um quick fire off. How many what how name the instruments that you said you'd say you could play? Uh, guitar, bass, mandolin, banjo, dulcimer, penny whistle, uh, uh, Chapman stick, uh, analog synthesizer, uh, 
I'm learning bass clarinet, but I'm not proficient at it yet. Uh, I've got some drum chops, but not enough to play professionally. Uh, keyboards, if you can do it one hand at a time, I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, that's about it. So you're pushing 12 to 15 instruments. I'll give you a couple yeah. that you may have not named or whatever. That's yeah. insanity. Um, I can't play. I can play a little bit of a little little four chop four chords on a guitar <laughs> and uh that's all that's and, all you need da, 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 on a, a keyboard <laughs> i can do that every sure and charge that's yep. basically where i'm at so the genius it just it bleeds through you bleeds through your family um for people who don't know you are the cousin of Derek trucks who's a pretty famous yep. guy from my area of the country um have you done anything with him that anyone would know about that we could plug here and people would go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> or do you kind of stay away no, from that? No. Uh, the thing about Derek is he's been touring relentlessly since about sure. the age of 13. Uh, I mean, like 250, 300 days a year, he's gone. Um, he's got a studio in, in his backyard as well. but. You know, it's a situation where if he's off the road, he's either songwriting and recording with his band or he doesn't want to have anything to do he's with it. He's got nothing to do with it, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm sure that he would be down if I called him and said, hey, can I show up and let's just play for a minute? I'm sure he would, but he'd have to find the time. Sure, so, sure. So, you know, when I see him a couple of times a year when I'm down in Jacksonville, uh, it's I, I don't think it's on either one of our minds. We would rather sit back and... Uh, you know, watch the Jaguars on TV or listen to music or something rather than try and do something like that. So, so, yeah. so you, you mentioned earlier, you did kind of bounce around a lot of Florida for the most yeah. part, yeah. little Nashville. You a Jaguars fan for real, man? I haven't followed the NFL seriously in a long time, but the family is, you know, I've got Big so Jags, much family. Yeah. I've got so much family in Jacksonville that at, at least totemistically, right. Symbolically, they're my team. Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of people that listen to this. Very happy to hear that. All right. Yeah. You know, we, gotta, <laughs> we have to root for them, yeah. um, but they just can't, they can't put anything together lately, yeah. but that's, that's, that's just Jacksonville spirit is what it is. Yeah. Hopes and dreams and crushed, <laughs> and you move to Atlanta or something like that. <laughs> um, so I usually ask people, you know, if not music, then what? But I think our question here is, you'd be in—I I mean, you've been in the physics and science and the all that. that I, that's kind of where you would go with it, yeah. I am definitely a science nerd. I am definitely uh, someone who. Uh, uh, you know, when, when, whenever, you know, daily I am, I am up on science. I am, I am listening to science podcasts. I'm, I'm reading about it. I like to stay plugged in uh, a couple of times a year. I think to myself, you know, I should take a refresher course in calculus of two variables or something because I haven't done it in a <laughs> while. Uh, you know, that's just where I'm at. Um, it makes awesome. me happy. I, 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 I love the feeling of figuring something out. I love the feeling of having something that when you first look at it, it looks like it's impenetrable and you can pull it apart and come to a conclusion that actually is elegant and works. I love doing stuff like that. So, yeah. You should just throw the guitar away and just change the world <laughs> that way, man. Jesus. Well, it's yeah. one. It's, 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 it's interesting as hell. So the last two questions are sometimes the same answer is the best piece of advice you ever got and the best mm. advice you could give. And typically I mean like for any kind of fan or aspiring musician or something like mm. that that's out there. Uh, best piece of advice that I ever got is take responsibility for your sound. Um, a lot of times, you know, especially in the jam community, someone will show up and play through someone else's gear or not warm up or, you know, be, you know, just, they'll come out and they'll chump it on stage and they'll think, you know, and I've had this happen to me too. It's because I, I wasn't getting the tone I wanted, or I wasn't able to hear myself. If you're on stage and you're playing something, speak up, say something. I can't hear you. I can't hear myself. <laughs> uh, I need more of this, you know, take responsibility for your sound. Uh, and as far as advice that I could give to someone else, uh, practice with a metronome and not only practice with a metronome. If you're not a drummer, if you're a, if you're a guitarist or any other kind of instrument, it doesn't matter. 
If you're not a drummer, get yourself a pair of sticks and a practice pad, learn a few rudiments and, and, and learn a few grooves. And this is not just for helping your timekeeping, but it's because when you're talking with a drummer, they don't give a shit what key you're in. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit what scale you're playing over. They're saying, if you turn around and say, hey, can you do that again? And they say, what? And you say, that thing we did in B minor doesn't mean anything. But if you say, those cross fives that we hit on a few minutes ago, then he knows what you're talking about. So being able to <laughs> to understand the rhythmic language as well as the harmonic language is very important. So. Well, we all know how crazy those drummers can be. Um, <laughs> Vayler, thank you so much, my friend. This has been a pleasure. Um, I'm sorry that I had COVID and I wasn't as lit as I usually Dude, am. Dude, I am people. so sorry. I, <laughs> hope you, I hope you're well. I hope you I hope I survive. That's what you were going to say. Yeah. You were going to say, I hope I survive. And then you, you yeah. got nice about it. No, no I hope I survive too. This was yeah. a pleasure, man. Pleasure's um, mine. Vagler the Yeti Trio.com, Vagler yep. on all the social. That's V A Y L O R. McMotherwell.com. I'm available on YouTube, Spotify, Google, all that shit. Come find me. Vagler, thanks so much, man. Guys, go check him out. If you don't, it's, it's your loss. Vagler, <laughs> thanks one more time, brother. Have a great night, my friend. My pleasure. Wow. Thank you so much.